Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Jordan's Pathway podcast. Jordan's Pathway is the true life story of Jordan, a boy diagnosed with autism. It's a book written by his grandmother, Caroline Frankie, and her friend, Roland Bushcavell. And I'm your host, Roland Bushcavell. In this episode, we bring you chapter 15, Stranger in a Strange Land, which I will be reading for Jordan's grandmother, Caroline. But firstly, a big thank you to all our listeners for joining us. And we do hope that sharing Jordan's pathway is creating a greater understanding of autism and ways of dealing with it. This is Jordan's story. Chapter 15, Stranger in a Strange Land. One thing I have learned about my grandchildren is that, despite sharing the same diagnosis, while many of their behaviours are similar, in other ways they vary greatly. This is not mere blind chance or coincidence. In fact, I believe there is a very important difference between Lauren and Jordan. I think of it like this. In Lauren's case, she is in our world, present in the same reality, but her autism walls her off within it. She has the same barriers as Jordan, but she is thrust further forward amongst us. Jordan stands in the shadow of autism, behind an invisible line, while Lauren's feet are squarely across that line, standing amongst us, questioning what we do. While Jordan at her age would have accepted everything we did that didn't involve him directly, Lauren wonders why we behave the way we do. Jordan when he was that age, would not have cared less. Lauren is inquisitive, where Jordan was reclusive. And this offers hope that she will develop beyond the trappings of a safe routine, seeking out things that, while they may terrify her initially, will give us something to work with in opening up her world. While she encounters frustrations that trigger the same strange noises and repetitive behaviours, the bouts of screaming and crying, the slowness in progressing, she is not separate. She is in the same world as us, and it is her inability to relate to it, while she is within it, that holds her back. Her screams are the frustration of not being able to relate to something that she sees yet still does not understand. Lauren will seek eye contact and look at you, showing that she wants so desperately to relate. She has a willingness to participate and tries hard to communicate, which can sadly lead to her feeling even more frustrated. When Jordan was the age Lauren is now, his world was a million miles away from our own. He witnesses our world from his position of seclusion. To him, all of reality is alien. While with Lauren, we are aliens in a world she shares with us, and she is fighting hard to secure her position within it. Lauren does not accept her situation because she can feel the differences and battles with them. With Jordan, this is not a struggle he can engage in because to him the challenges are all wrapped up in his one inability to relate. So it is not that he does not try, he simply cannot see what it is he could struggle against. Therefore, he adopts the behaviours we constantly drill into him. While with Lauren, Despite being somewhere near to Jordan on the spectrum, her struggle is to understand how to engage. So my two grandchildren are stricken with the same diagnosis, 
of similar severity with many common behaviours, and yet their perception of the world differs on such a subtle but important level. While this may seem merely a question of degree in their respective states, the actual difference is where the child feels themselves to be in relation to the world around them. They both occupy a foreign country of the mind. Lauren has crossed our border and is seeking every day to learn our language, to understand the reasons behind our rituals, while Jordan will merely observe them and remains to this day a stranger in a strange land. Here today and gone tomorrow. Because of this inability to relate to our world, in the early years it would have been impossible to coax Jordan into a hairdresser's. It was easiest to cut his hair at home. So for many years Brian took on the responsibility of cutting Jordan's hair himself, administering a buzzing and severe crew cut with his clippers and revealing a nearly bald-headed Jordan to the world before he promptly did the same to himself. However, it did look to all intents and purposes as though they had both recently enlisted in the armed forces. Eventually, however, Lisa and I couldn't stand looking at a near bald-headed Jordan and Brian, and when Jordan was about nine or ten years old, we suggested that Brian took him for a proper haircut. As usual, we agreed as a family that this was the way forward, and began to verbally prepare Jordan for the visit, letting him know that he was to sit quietly in the chair and have his hair cut by the barber. It would be fun, and it was what men did together. For, by now, Jordan liked to feel he had grown up and was a man. When they drove to the barbers, Jordan used to get a chance to sit in the front seat of the car with Dad, and it was another special time for him, when he felt he was being a man by sitting up front with Dad. Jordan, in his own eyes, wanted to be either a man or a superhero and could be at least influenced or enticed to do something because it was what a man would do. Despite all our planning, when Brian first observed the manly rite of passage taking his son to the hairdressers, it had quite catastrophic results. Jordan knew from our preparation that upon entering the shop with Brian, he was to sit in the barber's chair. Obviously, the fact that there was someone already sat in it when they arrived didn't change this one bit for Jordan, and bearing in mind he was now quite a big lad, he duly strode up to the man who was sat there and began to shove him out of it, pushing with all his might. The first thing this poor man knew of Jordan's arrival was when he leapt on him from behind and began trying to drag him out of his seat. When Jordan's attempt failed, he became more frustrated and even a little angry. Pushing all the harder, he turned on the lady hairdresser, attempting to pull her away so he could take his rightful place in the chair. Brian had by now caught up and was profusely apologising and in turn pulling Jordan away. So within seconds of arrival, there was a struggling mass of people around the barber's chair. The customer wondering what had hit him and the hairdresser concernedly holding her scissors aloft and out of harm's way as they were pushed this way and that by an increasingly frantic Jordan, who was becoming very anxious, crying out, No! No! Accompanied by the customary groaning noises he still made at this age. 
and overlooked by a previously serene queue of customers who, by now, had become extremely interested in what was going on. I can only imagine the look on Brian's face and that he was very much regretting not having stuck to the previous routine of DIY dad and son haircuts. Thankfully, the lady hairdresser was very understanding and a very calming influence. She was able to help soothe Jordan and bring everything back to normal until he had taken on board that he must wait his turn. To this day, Brian and Jordan return to the same hairdressers where Jordan will joyfully greet her by name and take his place in the queue. The hairdresser will switch on the television and put on the program Jordan wants to watch, while he quietly plays on his handheld games console until it is his turn for a haircut. When he is done, he always says, Awesome! and departs with a cheery wave. Of course, even now with the high level of dependency he has, It is very rare for Jordan to have a true taste of what independence and responsibility feel like. This does not deter him. Like any boy his age, he loves doing things with his dad, creating rites of passage that are an opportunity for him and Brian to bond. Having his hair cut with his dad on a Saturday, once a month, in the barbers, is a time Jordan associates with being a man, and it has become an important ritual in his life. Even as his inner need for independence grows, his relationship with his mother and his father is still a strong one. And sadly, it is most evident when Jordan is in need. For who we turn to when we are in need reveals who we instinctively trust. And Jordan turns naturally to Lisa, Brian and I. This is evident in many touching ways. For instance, when things break around Jordan, like a computer game, a charger or any one of his electronic devices, he does not understand the reasons and lacking perspective, he can quickly become distraught. Over the years, our only weapon to confront these potential meltdown-inducing occurrences has been the promise of Brian returning home. So, Dad Will Fix It became a constant in Jordan's world, something he knew as a remedy to the unexplained failure of any piece of machinery, and Brian is the miracle worker when all else fails. Merrily, 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 merrily. With such a focus on his health, safety and well-being, I rarely get the opportunity to see Jordan away from his family and enjoying himself in the company of his friends. One summer's day, when Jordan was around 13 years old, Lisa telephoned me to let me know his school were taking a day trip to my local park, just 20 minutes walk away. The park is very large with a boating lake and the school planned to take all the children out on the rowing boats. I couldn't resist the chance to see him playing with his friends and so I got my two dogs and we went off in search of Jordan. We must have walked around the park for a good half hour looking for his group before nearing the water's edge where I heard the sound of happy laughter carrying across the lake. I stood peering out and caught sight of two boats full of children splashing laughing and shouting, having the time of their lives and obviously enjoying every minute. I couldn't make Jordan out amongst them as they were too far away, but it was apparent that everyone was having a lovely time. Shrill screams of excitement and giggling, all mixing together and bringing a smile to my face. Two boats slowly made their way back to shore and the children all stumbled out and onto dry land, going into the changing rooms to dry themselves off. By now, I was nearer, walking towards them, 
but they remained a distance away, and still I could not see Jordan, no matter how hard I looked. On the point of giving up, I noticed a young boy walking towards me, head down, his arms all gangly and loose, and swinging from side to side, with each big lolloping step he was laughing, and the boys and girls near him were chatting away. It was Jordan. I was sure, and even at this distance I could tell how happy he was. Calling out, at first he did not hear me. I called again, louder. This time he stopped and looked around, not recognising the voice. Then he saw me standing with my two dogs and there was a further pause, while he obviously worked out what I was doing in the same park. Then he yelled out, pure, unbridled joy, his voice loud with excitement. Nan! It's my nan with penny and tuppence. And with that, he came running across the grass towards me, his arms held wide. I could see he was still dripping with water and braced myself for a very wet hug. As we greeted each other, one of the teaching assistants noticed and came very swiftly over to investigate while Jordan introduced me. I was very reassured by how quickly this lady appeared. And with the still damp Jordan by my side, we telephoned his mum to say hello and offer further proof of my identity, while Jordan excitedly told her of my surprise arrival, which had quite obviously thrilled him. As Jordan returned to get changed out of his wet t-shirt and shorts, I was gradually surrounded by his classmates, all asking questions and very happy with their day out at the park. Who are you? Are you Jordan's friend? No. I am his nan. I marvelled at how happy and free-spirited all these wonderful children seemed, and as the crowd that had gathered gradually began to move away to their school bus, Jordan appeared once more from the changing rooms, waved happily to me, and then abruptly disappeared once more, clearly having forgotten something he had left behind, which is just like him. As time ran out and Jordan accompanied his friends onto the bus, I stared after his retreating back and wished I could recapture that moment when he first saw me. The surprise and joy on his face had spoken volumes, and the way he responded was so wonderful. So I stood with my dogs, so pleased to have seen him happily playing with all his friends and watching the children waving out of the bus windows as they drove off. Jordan, however, stared straight ahead, as this is how he always behaves on buses. I couldn't help but smile as I made my own way home. This concludes episode 15 of Jordan's Pathway, the true life story of one boy's journey with autism. Listen out for our next podcast episode, where we bring you chapter 16, The Guessing Game. And if you're enjoying Jordan's Pathway, please find us on Amazon, where the full version of the book is available in Kindle or paperback, delivered straight to your door. In the meantime, this is your host, Roland Bushcavell, wishing you a very good pathway.